saving for a rainy day, but it's not even wet. Then there's food, some gas, and clothes. Don't forget the rent. Insurance pops up here and there. And don't forget to cut your hair. You need new shoes, but you got the blues because you just ran out of cash. Welcome back to another episode of Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Our guest professor today is Rich Kammer, host of the Budgets and Brews podcast. He's going to talk about the benefits and freedom of a frugal lifestyle. After class, Sensible Bobby will talk about how budgeting can help you live life on your own terms. But first, She's going to share her update on the saving secret. So let's get to her. The siren of savings, the bully of budgeting, the saver of sawbucks. Here is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Sensible Chat. Last month after my chat with Jamie Beeth, I told you I was going to try his saving secret, which is saving everything first, meaning your entire paycheck goes into your savings account and then you pull out only what you need for your expenses and put that in your checking account. But the big difference to me is that you're budgeting for the entire month, regardless of how often you're paid. So here's how it's been for me so far. Step one was updating my spending plan to reflect the entire month instead of having two spending plans per month, one for each paycheck. This made creating my spending plans much easier because I don't have to juggle dates and amounts of expenses and bills between two paydays. That was a big upside. Another big upside was the challenge of thinking about the entire month ahead, beyond what bills and expenses needed to be covered, and on to what else we wanted to spend money for this month. For me, it was fun to sit and chat with Scott about what our plans were for the month, what we were looking forward to, and knowing that we wouldn't have to stress later about whether or not we could afford it. But I really pressed him for anything else he could think of that we needed to plan for, because the idea is that once you've budgeted your money on the first of the month, you don't take any more out of the savings account. If something comes up that's not in the budget this month, it has to go on next month's spending plan. And that means, oh yes, waiting. Now, we're very good at staying within our budget, so I have faith. It's just that usually we can adjust every two weeks, but now it's only once a month. I'm excited about this, though, because it really challenges me to embrace the idea of delayed gratification. We can still have it. It's not that we're denying ourselves. We're just putting it on hold, which will either make whatever it is more enjoyable when we finally get it, Or it could make us rethink if we even want it by the time the first of the month rolls around. I'll keep you posted on how that goes. After we finished the planning stage, I had to wait until November 1st to actually budget the money and get started. Remember, you can't budget money you don't have. You can only plan for it. This was hard for me because I was so excited to try this experiment. And I got paid a couple days early, so it was hard to wait for the first. But I did it. On November 1st, my paycheck went into my savings account, I transferred the amount to my checking account as indicated by my spending plan, and budgeted it accordingly. This was very exciting, because my paycheck was not enough to cover the entire month of expenses. Remember, I get paid twice a month. But along with what I already had in savings, there was enough. I felt so blessed. There was a time I thought I could never have enough money in my savings account to accomplish that. And now, when I get my second paycheck for the month, it will all go into savings, and I won't have to use a dime of it. 
That is a feeling I have never had, and I can't wait to experience it. After I budgeted all the money, I paid all the bills, knocked them out all at once for the entire month. Man, did that feel good. But then it was all over. Everything was budgeted for the whole month. All the bills were paid. It was all good. But I had to face the fact that I won't be able to budget again for a whole month. That really bugs me because I love it so much. And I can honestly say that so far, that is the only downfall to the saving secret. So I'll take it. And Scott's been very supportive, making sure I get every receipt we generate so I have a little something to play with in YNAB throughout the month. The other thing that was a bit stressful was watching a big chunk of money leave my savings account all in one shot. I've worked hard to build that up. But it's only short term, just to start the process. The payoff will come when I can put my whole paycheck and savings on the 15th. Now, why is it worth doing this? If you missed my interview with Jamie, he shared all the ins and outs on the Saving Secret episode on October 12th. But from what I've experienced so far, I would say because it simplifies your budget and makes you focus even more on what you have and what you want to accomplish. And I'm telling you, having that mindset creates big changes in your financial life. At least that's been my experience. And if you let it, it can be so much fun. And I have a feeling my savings account is going to grow way faster than ever before. Stay tuned. So, could we consider this part of being frugal? What comes to your mind when you hear the word frugal? For me, it used to be cheapskate. Someone so obsessed with money that they deny themselves any pleasure in life simply out of fear or just downright refusal to spend the money. The words frugal and cheap were interchangeable to me, and I know I'm not the only one. The funny part is, I lived cheap for years simply out of fear. When the truth is, I could have lived frugally all that time and been much better off financially with much less financial fear. I just read a great article at Investopedia.com titled, How to Tell if You Are Cheap or Frugal. Here are the key takeaways from the article. Number one, cheap people believe that the only way to achieve value is to pay less, but they do not consider other factors that create value, such as quality. Number two, frugal people know that sometimes it's better to pay more and get better value. Number three, cheap people may be less skilled at managing their money than frugal people. You've got to read the entire article. There's a link in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. It was really eye-opening for me. Turns out, I was the epitome of cheap. And you know what? It not only kept me poor, but made me even more poor for a long time. So from a financial perspective, frugal sounds better, right? But does this mean you have to analyze every choice in life and never have any fun? No! Turns out the frugal lifestyle can be filled with fun, freedom, and even more choices in life. Who knew? Our guest knows. So let's hear about what it really means to live frugally. Welcome back once again, class, to Sensible University. We are now in session. Today's guest professor is Rich Kammer, financial enthusiast and host of the Budgets and Brews podcast. He created the podcast as a way to spread financial literacy to family and friends with a special splash of beer for a dash of fun. His show is for people seeking a starting point towards financial independence. Rich, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. 
No problem, Bobby. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the show, and I'm super excited. I love the name of your podcast, which is Budgets and Brews. Can you explain how you came up with this name and tell me what you talk about on the podcast? Absolutely. So a funny thing is that was not the original name of the podcast. So uh, we came up with this. And when I say we, I have a co-host and it is my nephew, actually. So his name is Tony. So originally it was Get Rich with Rich. Rich, obviously, being my name. And this sort of sprung about in the COVID era. And I was noticing on Facebook and social media, a lot of my friends and family members were sort of suffering and they were taking a financial hit. And me, I love finance. I love the topic. I read every finance book out there, every article, blog, listen to all the podcasts and the YouTube channels. And so I sort of developed this knowledge of finance, even though that was not my major, that was not my discipline of study. And so I thought, you know, I have the answers to a lot of their questions, but it would be so weird for me to just reach out to my aunt or my grandparents or whoever that is older than me and say, Hey, let me tell you how to, what to do with your money. You know, just that dynamics is weird. Cause they're like, no, that's my little nephew. And it's always going to be that way, no matter how old you are. So I was like, well, if I developed a podcast, maybe I could reach them in a passive way. And so that's what it was. It was Get Rich with Rich. And I started creating just different topics covering anything from the top budgeting apps to traveling on a budget, passive investments and passive income streams, even buying and selling a house. I actually was a real estate agent. I still am, I guess. And I just haven't been practicing. And I just had like, you know, different special guests on the show who might be more informed or more educated in the specific topics that we're talking about. And some of those guests are Jay Money, Doc G, JL Collins. We'll have an episode with Scott Trench upcoming. And then you, you've been on my show as well. So reached out for you to talk about some budgets and to help my audience and help my family and friends and whoever else wanted you know to be educated in those areas. And so that's sort of how it stemmed. And then I was like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that have these get rich quick scheme names or come make a million dollars or whatever that might be. I was like, I wonder if get rich with rich seems a little too intimidating. I'm like, I don't want people to be intimidated because my audience, they're people who are on that finance 101. They may still be in debt. They don't have all this money to invest. And so I wanted to get rid of that name and make it seem more inviting, more casual, laid back, and anyone could be a part of this inclusive. And so we went to budgets and brews. We added the brews because that was one of the things that Tony and I, we just like to try different beers. And we're like, what if we did something like a beer review at the end, you know, with just five minutes of the show and we have no clue what we're talking about. We're not beer condensers. It will just be sort of funny and just relaxing. And so we thought with that name, it just sort of seems like welcoming and come down, enjoy a beer and listen to some finance tips. I had such a blast being on your podcast. You know, if you can combine budgets and drinking a beer at the same time, (laughs) I am all in. And it was so much fun. So, yeah, you guys have a really good premise going there. And it is very inviting, especially for people that are just getting started. And so you have a lot of different, I mean, like you said, you're a real estate agent. You were also a police officer. You're very well educated. And since you've been reading all this stuff about finances and everything, it's not like you're lacking in a paycheck. So what made you embrace a frugal lifestyle? Because a lot of people think of that as just, you know, frugal people being ones that are just trying to scrape by and make ends meet. Yeah. So I would have to attribute this back to my mother and grandmother. And my grandmother came over from Sicily, spoke broken English, 
my mom was raised in that house, um, more of a, an immigrant family. And my mom, I mean, I would go in to grab a spoon and next to the spoons is a plastic bag full of twisty ties from, you know, the bread loaves. And I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, well, you know, you, you never know. You could use those down the road. She would collect and hoard and save everything. And that's how she was with money as well. And she always talked about, you know, make your money work for you. And she would go bouncing around from CD to CD. She only knew what a CD was. And so it was, Hey, you can get 1% on the CD. Once that's done, we're going to put in another CD to get 2% and just make your money work for you. And that was just is instilled with me as a kid. Uh, we would always save everything that we had. If the food was bad in the fridge, my mom would say, I'm like, mom, is this good? And she would go, mm, you don't eat that. I'll go ahead and eat that later. I'll cook you something new. So it's just like, we were not throwing stuff away. So I think that's where I got that frugality from as well as, I am self-diagnosed with OCD. I have never been checked for it, but I feel like for me, everything has to be in order, a regimen, a schedule. And so that's how I also am with my finances. That's how I am with my budgets. And so for me, I could really see the numbers and just see the future very, very clear with my mind. And so I try to put that into simplistic terms when I'm talking to somebody else to help them as well. And so I thought, you know, I would never be this way because the other thing was when I was a kid, I wasn't really that smart. I would say I was more of a rebel, a troublemaker, and I did not think that I would be successful in life. And all of a sudden, things start to change. And I was like, wow, well, maybe I can just start saving money. And that way, if I don't ever make it and be successful, whatever success is to somebody out there, at least I'll have this money to sort of fall back on. And so I started just scraping every penny I could, started learning about the topic. And that's how I thought I would be successful. Now, like you said, I am a real estate agent. I have been practicing. I was a police officer. I was a detention officer. I now work for a a university and I teach courses. And so now I'm like, well, I don't have too bad of a life, but eventually I want to try to retire early, be part of that fire movement. And I think that my frugality has sort of played into that to put me in a position where I will be able to earlier than most people. And I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, there are so many people who believe that frugal equals cheap. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the more I learn from talking to people like you and just reading about it, the more I think that's such a big misconception because it seems like the idea of frugality is more about seeing into the future, you know, short term or long term and what you really want versus just throwing money here or there on things today. What's your take on that? Yes. I actually chuckled when uh, it was frugality equals cheap. And I'm like, hmm. And I laugh because all my friends call me cheap. And I'm like, that is so accurate. But I will say that I think people think that until they find out how much that cheap person might actually have. And then it becomes frugal equals smart. And they start thinking, why am I not doing that? Or how can I start to do that now? And then all of a sudden that cheap person becomes the person that you go to for financial advice. And I also think that the media plays into frugality equaling cheap. And when I start looking at the Instagram influencers and just movies of big, rich, wealthy people, you start to think that that's the way that life is supposed to be is you need to have all this money. I have to have that Maserati or that Lamborghini. I have to live in this big mansion because that equals success. That is what I should be aiming for and what the American dream is. And I don't think so. And also I read a book 
It was uh, the millionaire next door and they conduct these surveys and studies and they're telling the audience, no, that's actually not what it is. If you look at the average millionaire, they don't live in the best neighborhoods of town. They don't drive the fancy cars. The average pair of shoes that they have ever spent money wise was, you know, around like $75 or $50. It was really interesting to going through those numbers and how our mindset is not there yet. And we still think that everything has to be the diamonds and the flashy. You have to be famous and your name up in lights. And so I don't necessarily think that frugality equals cheap, but I think our society thinks that. And so I don't really have that view, but I don't have that view because I guess I'm sort of living that lifestyle. Yeah. And I hear from a lot of people that if you're frugal, you pretty much never leave home. You don't have any fun. And like you were saying, you know, our society tends to show us that, you know, we need to have the Maserati, the huge mansion, this and that. And I think there's somewhere in between because for most of us, we don't have millions of dollars where we're going to be able to have it all right now, right? So we kind of have to pick and choose what's really important to us. But I think that it's a big misconception that, you know, if you're frugal, you just never leave home or have any fun. So do you as a frugal person ever go out and have fun? (laughs) All the time. (laughs) And I could only speak, you know, to myself. And so for me, being frugal has put me in a position of financial freedom where financial freedom is a real thing. And I think before I got there, it was just a word. But once you get there and you don't feel like you have these weights pulling you down. And when when I'm referring to weights, I'm referring to debt. I'm referring to I owe somebody X amount of money on this month. Then you can really let your money breathe and do whatever you want. Now, that being said, you have to think about how you got there. You can't just go all out and now I hit financial freedom. I can, I have all this money coming in, but I don't have all these expenses. And it's not just go out and blow all that money. But I also don't think that's the case either because most people, once they hit that point, they've been disciplined enough to reach that point where they remember those times where they had to pinch pennies. They remembered those times where they had to work that overtime in order to get there. And they don't want to go back to that lifestyle. So they keep that focus and you shift a little bit, a little bit different uh, mentality going forward, but you always remember that. So you'll never go back there. And so I think it actually buys you freedom and I feel like I could do anything. And so I have a zero based budget, I guess I would say is I pay myself first and Once I have all my eggs in my baskets, I'm putting money into my savings. I'm funding my 401k. I'm funding my HSA account. I'm putting money and I'm maxing out my Roth IRA. And here's all of my bills. And my bills would just be my subscriptions that I choose to pay because they fit into my budget. All the extra money that I am free to spend and I could do whatever I want with it. And what I love to do personally I like to wait till the end of the month. And I try to be really frugal week one, week two, week three. But in that last week, it's almost like I have a huge spend day where now I have this chunk of change where I can go to the mall. I could go to Amazon, wherever I want to go and just blow money and feel like I'm living that luxurious life because I know that I could go ahead and spend this. Now, sure, if I want to, I can choose to go ahead and put those and funnel those into some extra brokerage accounts if I wanted to. But I'm at that point where I have enough going on. I know I am set for life. I'm good. Now this is going to be my play money. 
That's awesome. I love that because it totally turns our thinking on its head. You know, we look so much towards instant gratification. And so you're flipping that and going, wait, wait, wait. And then here's the payoff. And that's a Mm -hmm. great thing because then you can do it with confidence and with fun. You know, instead of if you get the instant gratification, but you really can't afford it, you spend that money and it feels good in the moment. But then you have to deal with this weight of the debt afterwards for so long. Yes. And and, and don't get me wrong, which is weird is I'll never pay full price. Even if I'm in that opportunity and I'm like, I could go and do whatever I want to do and spend all this money. My mindset has been so instilled where I better be getting 10% off or I better find this off the sale rack so I could buy more of this, or I'm going to go use Groupon so I can save X amount of money off my meal or my activity. I still find ways to save the money, but I'm not scared to go ahead and spend that because I know I, uh, I have a cushion for myself. Now, when we talked, just, you know, we were kind of talking in general about this interview, what we wanted to talk about. And you were telling me about how you've, in my opinion, you've actually taken frugal to the next level because you were talking about how you're frugal with your time. So I want you to share how that works and how that actually benefits you financially. Yes. And I also attribute this maybe to my self-diagnosed OCD, but I have to make sure that my day is planned out to the T. So I use a Google calendar and I live by that. And some of the things that I have to even put on my calendar are things that maybe somebody else wouldn't even think to. And that's just hanging out with a friend. That is reading a book researching some content for my next podcast episode. And so I utilize this and that way I know where all my time is going, similar to a budget, where if you're creating a budget, you know where all your money is going. And when I was a kid, I didn't have a calendar. I just went out, I played with my friends and I somehow figured out a way to sneak homework in there as well. (laughs) And now it's almost like I have to pick and choose where my time's going to which friend. So when I go back home, I'm from the Cleveland area. Right now, I'm currently living in Cincinnati. I don't go back too often. But when I do, it might be for a weekend or maybe a handful of days. And I have all these friends saying, hey, do you want to hang out? I have to say, well, what do I get out of hanging out with you? Like, what can you offer me? Because I got five friends right now that have to hang out with me, right? But now I have to pick and choose. Am I going to hang out with somebody who is more talking about finance and going to push me to that next level? Or am I going to hang out with somebody who, hey, we're just going to sit down and play some video games. Now, both are fine because you still want to have your network. You still want to have that friendship. And sometimes you don't always want to be working. But just that extreme example of I have to pick and choose where I'm spending my time and who I'm hanging out with. And then am I doing something in my day that's actually going to like devalue my education? And so I think for me, my beliefs are I need to figure out what I'm doing that's going to help me learn that's going to help me try new things and explore new opportunities. And I have done that with creating and crafting this podcast where I was like, I'm going to start carving this into my day, little bits of an hour here, an hour there. And I was able to figure out I I could be a decent podcast host and I'm learning while I'm doing that. Same thing with real estate. When I got into real estate, I said, I'm going to carve this into my schedule just because I want to learn about the subject. I'm not trying to jump ship and be a full-time real estate agent I just want to know what do they know 
So if I'm ever buying a house, maybe I could buy one on my own. Or if I get into real estate investing, I'll know a little bit more. And so it's really just picking and choosing where I can get into. And then the other thing I'll also say about time is, and this is sort of comical, I try to figure out ways to free up my time. And I'll take an example of meal prepping. I meal prep. I go out and one day I have a list of all the groceries that I need to get. That way I'm not wandering, wasting time in that grocery store. It's boom, boom, boom. I'm out the door. I'll go ahead and cook for the whole entire week. Now, throughout that week, I don't have to cook. I just go ahead and grab and it's already in a plastic container. I microwave it. I'm good to go. And I move on to my next task, my next work thing until that next meal comes. I try to buy the same exact socks all the time. That way, when I'm sorting laundry, I don't need to worry about where did the other color sock go or what, where the other brand is. I fold it up, I throw it in there, and I move on to the next thing. And these things, they're not going to save you tons of time during that moment. But if you start adding that up, what that saves a year, because that's how my brain is sort of function to work. <laughs> It is a lot of time that I'm saving throughout a year. Even with my sleep, I try to figure out I'm going to get seven hours of sleep. I'm going to get six hours of sleep, whatever that is, because I don't want to sleep in and waste an extra two hours. Because if I'm doing that throughout a whole year, that is a heck of a lot of time that I could have been reading a book or going online, taking a self-taught class on Coursera or Udemy that I do in the finance world. So that's sort of where my frugality goes. And I don't expect everyone to follow those to a T because like I said, I'm just, I feel like I'm wired just a little bit different because you need some time in there just to relax for yourself. Sure. But those are great ideas. And I think even, you know, planning the time in there to relax and have some time for yourself to do whatever you want, call it free time, whatever. Like you were saying, it is like a budget. I mean, in a budget, you need to have a little play money just so that you don't go crazy, right? So this is the same thing, you know, budget in a little free time. But I love the similarities between budgeting your time and budgeting your money, because just like we talk about budgeting is basically just putting together a plan of how you're going to be intentional about your money so that you can get the things that you really want. And it's the same with time. So thank you for those examples, because that gives me a lot to think about and a lot of things that I'd like to try. So I hope it did that for somebody else as well. That brings me to another thing, because one of the best ways that I can think of to practice frugality is to find ways of putting less money into Uncle Sam's pocket, right? So we've talked before about how you have some ideas for reducing or eliminating taxable income. Give me a couple of those. Sure. If you have a job that offers a 401k, that's one thing right there because that is pre-tax dollars being put into a retirement fund where you do not have to claim that as income on your taxes. So anytime you can reduce your taxable income, that could also reduce your tax bracket. For example, if you were at a 20% tax bracket, and you were able to save, let's say, $50,000 into different retirement accounts or different vehicles, that might actually lower you down to the 12% tax bracket. Now that saves you money that you have to pay back to the government. And it's not like that money disappeared. It's still there and you still own that. It's yours and you'll get that back. And hopefully you'll get that back even more because it's going to be compounding. But I try to figure out ways I can do that. So I'm saving every single money I can. So a 401k is a great example. And you also hopefully will get a match on that where the employer will be contributing maybe a 2% match or maybe a 4% or 5%. 
And a 401k is also comparable to a 403b account, depending on if you're working for a government or educational institution versus a private employer. There could be different fees associated with that though. For me, I'm on a pension. So I have to pay 10%. It's either I'm in the pension or I'm not in it. And if you're in it, you can't lower that 10%. You can't up that 10%. So for me, I'm locked in. It's 10%. That goes there, but that is not counted on my income. The next vehicle is an HSA, which is a health savings account. So this is something that your employer could contribute. Mine does. They give me $1,000 a year and I can also contribute to this as well. And I think right now the max per year is like 3,600. So that's money once again, where it's going in there. And I'm not claiming that as my income because I don't see that. That never touches my bank account. So any way that you can divert money from your paycheck before it touches your checking account and put it in some of these vehicles like the HSA, the 401k, those are ways where you can reduce your taxable income. Another one is a 457. So a 457 account is another sort of sub retirement account that you can use. And if your employer offers one, which mine does, there's a max on that. And that goes straight from your paycheck before it touches your account into another retirement account, which will then reduce your annual income that you receive. So my whole goal is if I could reduce my income to below the, I think right now for me, the poverty range is like 19,500. If I could reduce it to there and still be able to manage, I will be paying then 0% in federal income state tax. And so that's my goal. And even if I'm not under that level, at least I'm benefiting myself by not having to pay higher taxes. Yeah, definitely. And in the process, you're saving for retirement, which is money that you're going to need later on. So either way, it's a win-win. And I love those things because no matter where you're at financially, you can find, you know, a little bit, even if it's 25 bucks a month, you know, you can find a little bit to stash in there and it's going to be such a benefit later on, especially with the HSA. That's a no-brainer for me because it's really helped my family out in a lot of cases. And since it can be be used, you know, right away if you need it for medical. I mean, I'm going to spend the money on medical expenses anyway, so why not get the tax break in the first place? And I think that our orientation and our onboarding process when you start that job on day one, it needs to be a little bit better, yeah. um, at least from my experience, because they say what an HSA is, they go over it briefly, but they really don't know your situation yep. and is it right for you or is it not? And then also the specific details that come along with that. I talk to a lot of people and they don't know that after you hit a certain threshold that you have in that HSA account, you could then start picking and choosing your investments yeah. And then that money can start being invested into the market. So I have mine going into an S&P 500 index fund and even a bond fund as well. And so that's just making money, making more money. So I have my employer dumping money in there. I'm dumping money and then it's making money with the market. And that's a triple tax benefit. Yeah. You're not paying any of the capital gains on there. You're not paying taxes when you have to pay that for a medical expense. I mean, it's very, and you don't pay taxes, obviously, because it's reduced income. It's a great tool to use, and people don't 
know that it can actually do that. And what they do say is if you can afford those out-of-pocket payments anyway, even though it's a high deductible account, they say try to do that and just let that money keep on compounding and growing. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you're going to need medical care at some point in your life. And so, yeah, this is a total no-brainer. If you have to use it now, you can. But if you can save it up for later, that's even better. You know, you always hear all this stuff about how much medically it's going to cost you in retirement. So even if you're for 401k can sustain you through your retirement, but you have this whole other fund to deal with medical expenses, man, is that going to make life way easier. So I, I want to quickly talk about something else because you did an episode yes. on your podcast called The Hidden Cost for College. So let's talk about some of these costs because I think there are things people don't often think about. Tell me some of the costs and how we can cut them. Yes. So this episode would be great for somebody who's in high school still, maybe a junior, maybe a senior. They're thinking about going to college. Their parents are in this decision as well. And my first biggest thing is I would recommend going to a community college. This is something that I did. So maybe I'm a little biased on this, but then you can go ahead and transfer into a larger institution. Now, why people don't go, there's probably a bunch of reasons. I think one of the big ones is because that's really not what is pushed in our society. I feel like there's a lot of counselors in there who are talking with the larger state universities. They have programs where they're coming in there and they're trying to sell them on that school. And so there's a little networking involved and they want them to go to these big name universities or friends are going there. When you go to these admissions tours, they're selling you on the next big thing. Hey, look at our water park that we have. Look at our lazy river. Check out our gym. They take you everywhere but the classroom on these tours and they're selling you on the aesthetics that they have there. But the education I feel is just as valuable. And I think for me, what really matters is when you get into those core classes and you can have that at those state schools, but for your basic math, your basic history, English that you're going to have to take anyway, if you can get those at 75 bucks a credit hour or $80 a credit hour, it can save you a lot. So I was paying maybe a thousand dollars a semester going to community college. I transferred all my credits. The biggest thing you have to make sure is you're working with an advisor that can tell you, yes, this class will transfer because that's the downside. A lot of students, they'll take classes, they'll go in there and like all these classes and transfer. Were you working with somebody with a school that you knew you were going to go to? So that can save you so much money. So now you're looking at half of those student loans if you have to take them out, which I would not advise to take out a student loan. The next is don't get a car. Go somewhere where you can go to that campus and you can walk to your classes. And then when you have a job, you're walking to your work on walking distance, invest in a bike, use the transportation system, make sure that college has a good transportation system or a bus system. Because if you have a car, you're paying for gas, you're paying for insurance, you have to pay for your parking pass. You're going to have to pay for the wear and tear and the maintenance with that car. So if you can avoid that, it's going to save you a lot more money. Then I would do everything to find grants and scholarships. There are so many different scholarships out there for every little scenario. You can go ahead and apply for these. Try to do one a day. And if you start in your junior year, these are hundreds and hundreds of scholarships and grants that you can apply for that will be aid that you will not have to pay back to go to some of these schools. And you can start doing that when you're in your freshman and sophomore year of community college as well, if you know you're going to be going somewhere. And if you're able to get your GPA up and really concentrate and focus on school during those two community college years, that's going to help you to get that merit-based aid as well. Next thing I would say is go to an in-state school. 
A lot of people, they're intrigued with going out of state and getting away from their parents. But if you're realizing, hey, now this is only two years, it's not so bad. I could go ahead and do this in-state. You're going to save thousands of dollars just by staying in-state. And then the last one is get a job. So when you're at a community college, when you're going there for your first two years, you should be working as well, whether that's 20 hours a week or if that's 30 hours. But if you can start saving that money in combination with those scholarships, when you go to that state school, you will not have to take out any types of student loans. You'll be able to either cash flow that or just pay by semester. And while you're in school, you should also be looking for a job. And this time, when you're in that state school, find a job in your area of studies. If you are going for an athletics degree or sports and management, work for the student rec center. That's going to be experience that you'll have. You can put that on a resume and you'll also be getting that money so you can cash flow that degree. So when you come out of school, you wouldn't have any loans that you'd have to pay back. And now it's like, there's that financial freedom. There's a lot more that we talk about. So I definitely encourage your listeners to check out that episode where they can try to go ahead and find those hidden costs. We talk about food and and different things like that as well. Yeah, those are some great tips. I love that. It warms my heart when I think about people who get this information before they get into this. Because, man, there's so many people who went into it blindly, not having this information, and it just costs so much throughout their lives for many, many years after college. So it's such a huge benefit if kids can get this information before they go into college. Now, on the other side, you've taught kids how to budget through college and even for life after after college, which I love because it's always hard to show someone the way of how to start budgeting when they may not even have their first job yet or a regular income. So tell me how you tackle that. Well, when it comes to irregular income, what I always say is go ahead and look at your last year's taxes. It's going to tell you how much you made that year. When you have that number, just divide that by 12. There's your monthly budget. Now, so some months you're going to be making more. That's okay. Go ahead and save that money. You're going to save it because you're going to have that budget once you divide that out. So you'll know how much you should be spending that month. The rest of it you'll be saving. Then when you're actually ready to sit down and make that budget, there's a bunch of different approaches that I would take. And this is where it's that conversation with that student or that conversation with that client or friend. I want to know what they are most interested in as far as the method because everyone can just relate to something a little bit different. So I have the pen and paper. This is you and you're at home and maybe it's a spreadsheet and you're putting all your expenses in. The other one would be an app. Are you better off suited for an app? Or do you like, you know, just the pay yourself first method where you're funding some of your retirement accounts or your savings accounts, and then everything else could just go towards whatever, as long as you're in that positive every single month. So there's different ways. And I really put the onus on the individual because I know that they adapt better to whatever their preferred method would be. But when we're looking at the budget itself, we're looking at what they're spending per month and per year. And that's the hardest part of crafting this budget is the first time that you're sitting down with somebody. Because I like to pull up either it's credit card statements or bank statements. That way you can see and you can go back, what did you spend this month? Or we'll look last you know, year in January, last year in February. You can pull those up there and actually see those. What subscriptions were on there? What memberships were on there? How many times did you go out shopping and to food? So once we start getting these numbers of what's a realistic number that we could put into these categories, we can then start creating, this is what you need 
January. This is what you need February. So we look at those hidden costs as well. You know, there's oil changes, car insurance. You might pay every six months. We want to factor all of those in there. And I really like to get personal with them and say, hey, realistically, what do birthdays look like in your family? Do you celebrate a lot of birthdays? Do you go all out with the gifts? Same thing with Christmas cards as well and Christmas gifts. And because these are things that people think, oh, they just come up. No, they're always there. The birthdays are always going to be there. Christmas is always coming the same time of year. So what does that look like for you in that spending there? Because some families, they go all out, others, not too much. And find that happy medium where you can build that into your budget. So really it's that first couple consultations or lessons to really figure out those numbers. But once that's said and done, the rest of it is really just coasting. And you just led so perfectly into something new that I'm doing on this podcast, which I didn't mention to you before. So I'm just going to throw this at you. Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. But it's the budget buffet, because the idea is that there's so many different ways to budget. And it's a very personal thing. And the method that works best for me may not be the method that works best for you. So I'm trying to get as many methods in there as possible. So from your perspective, perspective, you personally, what method of budgeting works best for you and why? Yes. And another method we did forget to mention is the envelope system as well. But personally, for me, it is the pay yourself first method. And that is because I think I am frugal as well, where I'm not going on these lavish spending sprees, but I'm making sure that all my accounts are funded. I'm good to go. I paid myself first. And then my excess money is a good chunk anyway, where I know I'm not going to run out because I know what my day-to-day spending patterns look like. I've been doing this for a long time. So I was able to be aged into this. So that is my method. It's pay myself first and then the rest will go out there. And in part of my pay myself first method, I have a savings. So after all my retirement buckets and my investing buckets, and even my individual brokerage account buckets, I still have a savings bucket. So even if I ran through my fund money, I could dip into my savings if I really wanted to, knowing that I still have a bunch of other savings methods going on. But it took me a while to get to that point and just to understand those numbers and know those numbers in there. Such a comforting feeling and a great place to end. Thank you so much for sharing that. You've given us so much to think about, so many great ideas. If people want to learn more about the podcast, Budgets and Brews, or you personally and the other things that you're doing, tell us about some of the other things that you're doing and how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. And it's been a pleasure being on the show. I love talking about this. I could talk about this for days. So anybody who wants to either be on my show, we love having people who know nothing and they're just trying to learn and they have a bunch of questions they want to ask. I encourage them, reach out to me. We'll get you on the show and we'll make something work. Budgetsandbrews.com. You can go to the website. You can check out. We have finance articles. We have the podcast. We have our own merchandise store where you could buy stuff if you want to. But if you don't want to pay for it, you can follow us at Budgets and Brews on our Facebook page. And we give away merchandise all the time. You know, just like, share, whatnot. You're entered to win. We're giving away free shirts and hoodies and hats and things like that. So there's another place you could reach us. We do have a Twitter as well. We have an Instagram account. We have a TikTok. We have all these different things on our podcast as well. And then on our website, there's a contact page where it has our email at budgetsandbrews at gmail.com. And so you can get a hold of us any of those ways. 
You have some great merchandise for sale. Christmas is coming, so I encourage all the listeners to go to budgetsandbrews.com. If you are a budget geek or a personal finance enthusiast or know somebody who is, this is the perfect gift. Go to the website, budgetsandbrews.com. There is so much to choose from, a lot of great stuff, and I know I'm putting it on my Christmas list. I hope some of it lands under my tree this year. And if you just want to listen to some beer reviews from people who don't know what they're talking about on the website, we have a beer reviews where it's just the portion of the beer review where you could listen and have a laugh. I could definitely vouch for that because I was lucky enough to do a beer review with you. And I assure you, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So, (laughs) But it is lots of fun. And Rich, thanks again so much for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Bobby. A great big sensible thank you to Rich Kammer, host of the Budgets and Brews podcast please visit his website at budgetsandbrews.com. Rich shared a ton of inspiring ideas for budgeting your time as well as money. Here's a challenge. Go back and listen to the interview again. Pick one of his ideas to put into action and report back on how it goes. Email me with a progress report, bobby at sensiblechat.com, and I'll share it on the next episode. This is a great way we can all learn from each other. In the meantime, let's talk about how budgeting can help you live life on your own terms. I don't know about you, but I am sick of society dictating what success looks like. I used to buy into it, but as I get older, my idea of success has greatly changed. What does success mean to you? Do you need the fancy cars, or do you want to spend more time with your family? Do you want an expensive condo in the city with all the amenities? or a home outside of town with lots of yard to grow a garden or let the kids play? There's no right or wrong answer, as long as you're answering for yourself and not what you think someone else wants to hear, because there is no point in keeping up with the Joneses. We've all heard the phrase, time is money, but have you really thought about what it means? It's funny if you think about it, we all want more money. People do crazy things for money, they're desperate for it. But when it comes right down to it, there's always a way to make more money. But what about time? We waste time like there's a never-ending supply, and yet it's the one thing we cannot make more of no matter how hard we try. So why are we so willing to trade time for money without really thinking about it? Many of us have given up countless hours doing things we hate just to scrape by. And why? Because we think there's no other way. This is the hand we were dealt. This is a lie, and I refuse to live by it. We can take control of our lives. We just have to start paying attention and be intentional. Throw out the narrative that you need money to survive. That is a desperate attitude, and desperation leads to bad choices, choices we often regret. Instead, let's think about what we want and how much money that translates into. Do you want a roof over your head? Just enough to get by? Or do you have a dream home? Do you want a car? Or do you want to live somewhere that you can get around without one? Do you want a job that provides the money to give you the things you want and the lifestyle you desire? Or do you want a career that fulfills you and is the center of your lifestyle, even if it means making less money? Everything has a price tag. So why don't we figure out what the price tag is for the life we want Instead of buying things we can't afford to distract from a life and job we're unhappy with but can't get out of because we're in so much debt from buying the things we can't afford that didn't make us as happy as we thought. It's a vicious cycle, but we can end it. 
Time is money. So what's your time worth? Most of us go through life letting our bosses decide for us. So let's stop and figure it out for ourselves. It goes back to the price tag. Envision your dream life. Where do you live? How do you spend your time? What kind of car do you drive? What else is important to you? Now, put a price tag on as much of that as you can. And then, do the math. How much money would you need to make it all happen? Are you making enough now? If not, are you willing to do what it takes to make enough for your dream life? Or does your dream life suddenly look different than before? And it's not just about the job. What about what it takes to do the job? The stress and time of the commute, the hours you're committed to, and on and on. It's your life. Don't let anyone else dictate what it's going to be. The way to start is to be intentional with your spending because making more money is not enough. You have to direct that money in order for you to accomplish your goals. That's the point of the budget. It keeps you on track. Case in point, all of us who've gotten a raise and can't figure out where the extra money went. You've got to have a plan. Know what you want, know what you need, and know the time and money it takes to get there. Until you do that, you're spinning your wheels. So start now by getting your budget together and being intentional about your spending. If you're working overtime, do you know why? Is it a one-time favor or because you feel like you need the money? If you feel like you need the money, do you know what you need it for? If not, you're spinning your wheels. That overtime money will be spent on picking up dinner on the way home because you're too tired to cook. Was it worth it? Take a crack at budgeting your time as well as your money and determine what you're worth. Then go after it. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but it can happen. I used to be mired in debt, hopeless I could ever get out, and powerless to change my life. Now I'm debt-free, building a strong financial foundation, and I feel wealthy. I'm not rich, not by any stretch, but I truly feel wealthy. I can sleep soundly at night with no fear about what happens if the car breaks down. What if one of us gets sick? What if I get laid off? It's an amazing feeling, and it gets stronger every day. Not just because my finances improve every day, but because my mindset does too. I'm more resourceful, more confident, and especially more grateful. I'm finally starting to grasp the true essence of what it means to be grateful, and it is life-changing. Truly, I've become much more wealthy through gratitude. I'm going to talk more about that on the next episode. In the meantime, if you need help getting started with your budget or have any questions, reach out to me. All my contact info is available at sensiblechat.com, and I am here to help. You can schedule a free budget consultation there, too. Thanks for listening. And remember, budgeting is not hard. It's just math. Changing your mindset is the challenge. But if you're ready to go after your goals and take back your life, you might find it a bit easier to change your mindset and live the life you dream of. So until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sensible Chat. All the links and resources mentioned are in the show notes at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. 
to schedule your free budget consultation, click on the Book a Free Call button in the upper right-hand corner at SensibleChat.com. Have a question or success story, or how about a great budgeting idea? Sensible Bobby loves it all and wants to hear from you. Go to SensibleChat.com for all the contact information. That's Sensible with a C. 